Thank you so much for listening to this very special episode of House of Nako. I am your host, Anajwa, here with you for one of our pre-election episodes. It is November 1st. Happy November to you all. And yes, in just a few hours, the clock is ticking. Speaking of clocks, we just got to uh, fall back and really embrace the uh, new seasons. The fall, if you live in the United States on the East Coast, is a beautiful time. And yes, a lot is happening. And House of Nako is here to document and share and give you our fresh perspectives. So let's not waste any time because this episode, this pre-election episode, I had to actually take some time and decompress and process and really get myself to a place to even do the show because it was a lot of material. It was a lot of things to fact check and get through, but I did it for you all so that you don't have to do it. Okay, so sit back. You might want to grab a snack and then come on back. So the fact that we as a nation have accepted that this is the election in terms of our choices, what it appears on the ballot, is still almost theatrical to me. I still can't believe that these are our choices. Uh, And we've accepted that. And we've seen even as late as last month in other countries where uh, direct and very calculated voting can change things for the people and not for those who seek profit. But that's another show, y'all. So yes, this show, we're focused on anyone who has any last minute concerns questions you really just don't know you're you might be apathetic you're not even thinking about voting those people now in the state-sponsored media they have hit us over the head repeatedly like oh this election is already decided this is clear this is in the bag and has already put out the notion that there aren't people undecided buy that i believe that there's a lot of people undecided a lot of people apathetic a lot of people who don't want to make this choice (laughs) but if you find yourself listening to the show i beseech you to reconsider after you've listened to what i have to say that's right so let's start here uh where is the love Where is the love? Is not only just a chart-topping song for the group The Black Eyed Peas. 
I just found out recently, I always thought that Will I Am wrote all the songs, which is true, but on this track, it was several people. Will I Am, Justin Timberlake, and a couple other songwriters. To just to name a few, this was um, Black Eyed Peas, which to me, it's not even to me, but to many other people too, who can read and watch and process information, that they were very, um, constructed group let's just say and didn't start off the way that they were pushed commercially especially after Fergie was introduced and this song introduced Fergie just some musical tidbits for you so anyway this song came out in 2003 in June it was a chart topping song it was like they put some like 9-11 feelings on it it was it, it came out at a time where the sentiment of where is the love was fitting let's just say you could probably say this song could fit in any decade unfortunately but anyway the song has resurfaced now the song has been kind of remixed and remastered it's got a new title it's not called where is the love but it's called the love it's still getting titled as by black eyed peas and jennifer hudson all the original members, minus Fergie, obviously, are not on this track. That's why they've called it The Love and they can't call it Where Is The Love because they're not only are they changing up the lyrics, Joe Biden has somehow found himself in the middle of this song. Now, this definitely was not a... Uh, this was not just happenstance and oh oh let's just do this this would be cool this is very calculated it's coming uh it was released on youtube at least through the black eyed peas on october 19th so it's relatively new has 34 million views and counting and it's by no mistake this wasn't just a happenstance situation it was very calculated by uh, Joe Biden's team, the DNC, the establishment, and all of their tools to create, to work on the heartstrings of the millennial Gen X uh, demographic and try to pull on their heartstrings to convince that demographic that there is a clear distinction between Joe Biden and Donald Trump and Joe Biden is for love. Donald Trump is for hate. And if you're about love, you need to vote and you need to vote for Joe Biden. That was the, the, the crux of, of it. But it was also sprinkled with a lot of visual imagery that was supposed to pull on our heartstrings and give us the impression that the give us the impression not even just the impression to uh further uh lift up the constant uh uttering from joe biden when civil rights is brought up that i have an immaculate record on civil rights i've worked tirelessly for civil rights and so that was created in this video by instilling a lot of civil rights footage uh martin luther king made an appearance in this video there were community leaders um that have worked in civil rights that made appearances in this video 
And that was juxtaposed to Joe Biden's words from a speech that he gave uh, probably this year or last year. Who knows when he gave it? But the song, actually, Jennifer Hudson is actually singing the words that Joe Biden is speaking at some points in the song, which is actually kind of a weird concept. I don't think it came off well at all, just musically. I'm not talking about like contextually. So I see this as a very, you know, desperate last minute attempt to see if through music and through this very popular song and a band that, you know, might not be a chart topping band, but Jennifer Hudson definitely has had some recent hits out there. And even if she doesn't, she is starring as Aretha Franklin, that movie's supposed to be released probably next year. They've been hyping it up. So she's been around. So they're hoping, like, please, please, please whip and name and take your hot sauce out of the bag and play dominoes with us and whatever other pandering ridiculousness that has come from particularly the left. I'm sure the right wing people do their version of pandering, but I feel like there is no other political party that does it quite like the Democrats. Like they it like just have no chill, no shame. Like Joe Biden just coming out and being like, Despacito, playing it on his iPhone and thinking that's gonna get him some type of votes. And maybe there will be those people who don't really think at all and they're just like, oh, I'm just coming to vote for the heck of it. I'll vote for him because he played Despacito. Maybe it might get a handful of those people, but it's... It's very demeaning to think that these demographics that you need their votes so badly that their level of thinking and comprehension is only around entertainment and very superficial things. Like to think that they don't care about healthcare, to think that they don't care about a living wage, that they don't care about housing discrimination, that they don't care about the issues that are going on around them is completely first of all it's preposterous but it's also just so dehumanizing and racist and sexist and all those things but it's just like how can you dehumanize people like that and think that they only care about hot sauce and you know whipping and nanny (laughs) whipping and nannying that's all i care about anyway what who where when where why So the video starts out with footage of, and it's vintage footage, of a pioneer in history. Like, I won't just even limit this woman to just civil rights history or black history. This woman is a historical powerhouse, okay? And please stay tuned because I definitely plan to dedicate some episodes to breaking down this woman's life and her legacy and what we can learn from her now because I feel like the lessons and the path that she paved for all of humanity is just amazing. So yes, stay tuned. But the woman I'm talking about and referencing is Ella Barker. Ella Barker, most people don't know her name, which is why this administration and the establishment DNC, whoever, is funding for these things to happen. 
probably a whole combination of those entities. Anyway, they picked this woman like when propaganda is being cultivated and created visual imagery the words the music everything is meticulous it is not thrown together it is not by happenstance it's not by luck they are doing it calculated believing that these images are going to conjure up certain things and emotions and that's going to lead you to the polls whatever (laughs) anyway so the imagery of using this woman ella baker a formidable powerhouse historical powerhouse and i'm gonna break down just a little bit about how phenomenal this woman was and how much we owe to her and her efforts for to be able to have the freedoms that they're trying to chip away and steal every second but because of her work we can go get our registration and go to vote without the threat or fear of your job being taken from you your livelihood being taken from you and your life that is what that woman had to deal with to be able to dismantle the uh the codes and laws that were written into southern law and probably even in some northern states but this was primarily in the south where they were doing everything that they could to stop and disenfranchise uh, black people from voting, exercising their vote so that they could change their, have agency to change their situation. Crazy. (laughs) It's just crazy just knowing the history. And that's an important part of history and why you need to be self-taught because in these schools, in these institutions, even in the highest levels, they want to mansplain these people they want to whitewash these people they want to silence these these types of people so joe biden whoever was putting this together had very specific instructions ella barker was chosen because she's definitely someone who you can look up and verify that she was a part of the civil rights movement they're not making her up but she's not someone with a name and a voice that would overshadow joe biden so in essence it's like he is stepping on the back and the legacy of ella barker to be able to pander to the millennials and gen xers Uh, in the black demographic where even though in the state-sponsored media they've been uh bigging up biden in the polls oh he's dominating the polls dominating polls but every time they mention black young black voters young black voters he's not doing well he's doing well with the old ones 65 years and up that's right sitting at home watching cnn but the young ones are not trying to hear that And Biden's trying to do these last-minute ploys to try and pull on their heartstrings, offer us nothing, no plan, nothing still, and just be like, vote for me because I got together with the Black... Actually, that sounds more like Bill Clinton. But anyway, whatever. (laughs) Back to the video. So yes, Ella Barker's image is being used. The first thing that we see in this video, she's walking to a mic to give a speech 
Instead of hearing her speak, we hear Joe Biden start to speak. Good evening. And to give us some rhetoric and very um, cliche sayings strung together and with the music in the background and the images of people gathering at the mall on Washington and kind of conjuring up that civil rights, Martin Luther King, you know, freedom summer type of vibe. Uh, that's on purpose to bring up those nostalgia, to bring up that history. That's a pivotal history for African-Americans and for black people. So that was done on purpose. Um, but to silence someone like Ella Barker and then try to step on her to be able to uh, inject your own words and then go back and try to use a phrase that she said often, according to him, which was uh, something to the effect of, if you show people the light, they will go towards it. And it actually wasn't, I mean, whether it was something that she said often, I haven't been able to fact check that. However, I do know that the phrase came from a class that she devised to teach people how to register uh, people in the South, primarily in Mississippi, which she started and cultivated for three or four years and had to deal with insurmountable odds but still was able to get it done and it is because of her work because of her strategy because of her brilliance because of her uh endurance that's how the voting rights act was passed it was her and under her leadership the students of the student Nonviolent coordinating committee and for sclc which I do believe stands for the Southern Christian Leadership Commission. I believe that's what it stands for because of her involvement with those two groups and because of those young people who risked their lives. Like this is not a joke or a game. This was not like, you know, a, a pastime. Like, oh, let me go after school and like go hang with the fellas. Like this wasn't it. Like these young people, as young as 14, were saying that even though we know that this could result in so much horrible stuff happening to us personally, we are still going to persevere. We are, we won't quit. We won't stop. What kind of courage is that? Like, that's like going into the fire, knowing that you will be burned or, or that, that it's not going to be something pretty. I, I was reading uh, research about the trainings for these young students, both black and white. And there was resistance to having white students in the beginning saying that this goes against what the SCLC and SNCC stand for to have white students. But uh, Baker was very, she was such a good leader and she understood that without, and I believe Fannie Lou Hamer also was, um, an integral force, of course, in the civil rights movement, but with discussing with Baker about the integration of even uh, the voting to teach, uh, the integration of the staff that was going to go in and teach uh, or sign people up, register them to vote. And I believe it was Fannie Lou Hamer that said, 
you know, if we're talking about integration and our mission is integrated, our, we ourselves uh, cannot be, uh, cannot have a separation. With, we need to be integrated for us. So just the courage, the strength, the fortitude of all of those uh, people that we, we won't know their names, but that they really worked tirelessly so that we could have choice, so that our voice could be counted, so that we could create our own uh, agency that is through the vote. And that's why they work so hard at trying to strip it from you. So, yeah, that's the important, just a very small, small, small uh, uh, gateway into the importance of Ella Baker. And I actually want to go a little bit deeper just because she's that important just to read some of her accolades and then we'll get into more of the love house of the ella baker my goodness this woman <laughs> this woman dealt with so much and like i said it will be a whole other episode or episodes dedicated to some history at some point because she definitely deserves more than just what we're doing now but at least we're integrating her into this whole uh, analysis because the mute button was put on her but before i even read this a uh, summary of her uh, accolades and the importance of her work to democracy and uh, history. Uh, one of the reasons why not only was it very uh, intentional to use a person like Ella Baker that doesn't have the same type of fame that some other civil rights uh, activists have not to overshadow uh, Joe Biden, as we said before, but if you take it a step further to listen to the words she was saying during that speech, it will be very clear to you why they could not use any audio from it. And I did a little research and found out that the clip that they used was from a speech that Ella Baker gave in 1974 at a Puerto Rican solidarity rally. Now, she was the right person to pick to come and speak because this is a woman who had, as she stated in her two minutes and 22 seconds on stage, that she's had 40, 50 years at that point in 74 of dealing with struggle and oppression. So this is basically what I'm coming to lay upon you and impress upon you. And the earth shattering uh, how much you can just relay in two minutes is just so powerful. So she said a lot, but the real burning spear of what she said was that coming to these gatherings and going to protests and all these things are nice and great, but you need to take it a step further 
and talk to your neighbors that you don't talk to basically and your friends as well to let them know that until your brother isn't free you are not free and basically that can't happen under a capitalist imperialist system mic drop so there is no way on this earth that the democratic party joe biden anyone like that can be saying those types of things that you would be seen as a socialist radical and all these other um horrible things you wouldn't be given a main platform so that's why they had to deaden her voice but to use her imagery because they know of her importance and then try to use a saying that she had had been famous for but the uh as i mentioned before the light uh reference that she uh said was the title of a class that talked about uh voting rights and like what that gives you what that can empower you to do so she was true to her word and showed people the light and it took a while for them to come i was reading it took years and years to try and persuade the people the blacks of mississippi to get down with this because they were riddled with fear and who can blame them who can blame them these white supremacists were not taking kindly to outsiders coming in and trying to agitate our way of life and they were not having it like i i was reading the deaths of two individuals one black man in mississippi who dared to help ella baker and the members of snick and sclc when they were in mississippi and some senator a senator just shot this dude just shot him in the street and killed him he didn't face any criminal charges that man was shot and killed just because he had helped like he let those snick members sleep at his house that's basically what his crime was that this senator took it upon himself to kill this man it's to send a message of fear and it worked and it worked for a while so ella baker this was not like people think freedom summer like oh one summer and it all happened that was like years and years and years of work and toil this woman didn't even have an office to work out of because she was dealing with like mad sexism too not only was she dealing with the white supremacist racist jim crow south she was dealing with like serious race i mean sexism coming from her peers y'all should be helping out but these men could not stand that she was so brilliant and she had all the right uh, ways of thinking and everything like that so they weren't trying to check for her so she she was quoted as saying that she had to work out of her purse she had to work out of her purse and they didn't pay her a lot of the time this woman was not rich they were not how she even survived it is just a miracle and joe biden somebody who claims that they have a tireless record on supporting race and civil rights and but a tireless record then why do you have to go and use ella baker's imagery 
you should be able to pull up pictures of you in the 70s marching he talks about oh i worked with jesse jackson on some stuff like okay we saw the photo ops that you took with jesse jackson but what were the results of that what were the results of you two meeting was it just to take some pictures so you could use them for failed presidential campaigns or was it that you were actually doing something and if you were where are the receipts why are you trying to steal baker's image and steal some of her words it's because you don't have it that's why joe it's not there and i find it to be completely insulting and hurtful that such a woman who gave so much <laughs> so that we could exercise our right to vote not in fear that he can just come and try uh, pay whatever he has to pay royalties to use that imagery in this um in this type of propaganda film it's just it's enraging say what say what house oh not home say what ella baker gave this speech at the puerto rican solidarity rally rally in 1974 Although Joe Biden claims to have a long and formidable history of civil rights action and supporting whatever he says. Interestingly enough, in 1977, just three years after the speech was given, Joe Biden was passionately and vigorously using his Senate seat not to ensure that his citizens are receiving access to health care, access to good education, housing, all of these things that good senators should be doing, right? No, Joe Biden was using his time as a senator to create bills that would stop the federal government and using federal funds to help uh, with integration, specifically with busing. Now, there's a lot of people who have their views about busing and say, oh, it's not, it's not a good thing. And me, 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 me. Okay, let me stop. You can have your opinion. I'm not trying to take your opinions away from you. You can say busing is terrible all day long. And that's what Biden said passionately, that busing well it's interesting he's changed his tune of course from what he said in the 70s which i'm going to take what he said back in those days a lot more uh concretely than something he's saying now in an election year now that all this time has gone by now that your memory has gotten a little loose and you're obviously going to say things and make yourself paint yourself in the best light and you're not going to be truthful about those things i'm going to go by what you said in the heat of the moment when you were passionate about it that's what i'm going to go by so there were some letters that were secret for so long but in 2019 they became revealed and these letters were from joe biden's office as a senator in 1977 where the bill that he had created which would basically ban federal funding to go into uh busing which if you don't know what busing is and history of busing there's a lot of it online that you can read about it has a long history there are people who are 
all of all races black and white some are for it some are against it to me it's not really an argument I, I and it would be another episode i don't want to do an episode on busing honestly but people call oh it's a failed thing it was failed was failed because the government didn't want to do it anymore that's what i think and yes ultimately we shouldn't have to go to bus people to bus uh black children into white uh neighborhoods more prosperous neighborhoods with zip codes that for their schools get more supplies and resources and better teachers we need to dismantle that the uh, social ills and the systemic racism that allows for those things to happen in the first place obviously those things to be need to be dismantled but that's going to take a lot of work on the local and the state level for that to happen the taking away these social ills changing the perspective and the stereotypes about that have been perpetrated by the state and have been perpetrated by the powers that be and that have been written into law it's going to take time to unlearn those stereotypes about the predators and start to but in the I, I see when the federal government has to step in is to do something immediate is to say that what's going on right now in your state is so crazy that the federal government needs to step in and tell you like look you can't do this anymore like we're gonna step in we're bringing in the national guard this is the way it is we've had evidence of that when the federal government has to put on their federal government pants and go and tell a state that they can't do something because it's crazy the first uh incident that comes to my mind or historical incident is when uh bobby kennedy as attorney general under his brother had to get serious with george wallace who was letting these black children get abused and rocks thrown at them people spitting at them just because they want to come in and learn and read next to the precious white souls of the south and george wallace wasn't having it and he was making sure that the local police wasn't really protecting these people if bobby kennedy had not sent in the national guard to protect those students that they would have been eaten alive by the mobs you can go and see pictures and the pictures don't even do it justice you should see footage of how it was these mobs like these police had to hold them back and you know they're really not holding back they're like i might just let somebody come through here just because i want to see something happen you know it was like that it was only the grace of god that these students didn't get mauled to death by these angry southerners who did not want them in their schools They're like no 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 and you should have seen the way they were acting like animals so of course what can, what is a government supposed to do you're supposed to just look at that and be like no i can't do he has to do something he's going to look like that you can't control what's going on in your country they didn't want to look like idiots they already had a long history of that abroad to their people they want to look like they have things in charge so that's why he did it i believe he actually really cared too about the situation i want to believe that i want to hold on to that but regardless he did what he had to do as attorney general and exercised that uh that responsibility and it's a part of the being a part of the executive branch of government that's what you got to do you got to do it 
And so the same thing with busing. Of course, it's not the ideal. The ideal is to take away the systemic racism that makes it so that in black people live in these poor communities and white people live in the... Like, that's what you need to do, obviously. But when it's got to this point where it's crazy and these black schools are terrible... <laughs> The government has to step in and be like, look, y'all need to get this together. But in the meantime, we need to take these black children over to these white schools because they need some type of education. They need to be able to succeed. And people who say that busing was such a failure, well, look at Kamala Harris. She's now top cop. And she's also top billing on uh, uh, to be vice president of the United States in this election. She's a product of busing. And there have been numerous studies, I've looked at them, you can find them online, that talk about the positives of busing because at the end of the day, they're getting access to a better education that they would get in their own neighborhoods. And those students went off to do go to college, get great jobs, and even the studies went on to look at their kids, how they raised their children and their children were raised with the notion of okay you're gonna go to a good school you're gonna go to college so what's wrong with but what is the problem with busing it was it so bad i don't think so they just didn't want to do it for that long because they didn't want to get involved they didn't want to put the money in they'd rather give the money to their wall street friends whatever this is house of but the fact that Joe Biden was so passionately like for not having the government step in and help out with this integration, I just think really, really is telling about the type of person that he is and the type of administration that he would run. Because I don't even want to hear like, oh, well, he doesn't think that way anymore because he does. He has been asked numerous times on numerous different outlets, even on the state-sponsored corporate media ones like NBC. And he's been like, no. When they're like, uh, you think that that was like a bad idea? He's like, no, it was a good idea. It was great. He says that about all his, his decisions. I think the only thing I've heard him backtrack on was the war, to vote for the war in Iraq. But besides that, he's thought every decision that he's made even having time to think about it, that it was a great decision. And this uh, hardcore busing, anti-federal money for busing thing, he doesn't take back at all. He's been quoted as saying he thought it was a good idea. He's trying to make a distinction between, oh, federal, I was against federal busing, but busing on the local level, like Kamala was bus. I'm for that. I'm for that. And yeah, it shouldn't be federal. And he has a way, him and his staff came up with like some jargon to say that makes it look like, oh, I'm not about the federal government coming in and messing up things and I'm about people dealing with those things on the local level and that's better because he, he tried to make some type of rhetoric to say like basically oh I'm for civil rights because I'm for them to do it at the local level but the federal government getting in that's just gonna mess everything up but I'm for it like okay Joe you're for it when you are making strong friendships and ties with known white supremacists yeah you heard that I said it right. In the 70s, this man, in order to get this bill passed, made these friendships with known white supremacists. And we're going to get into that in the, in the second part 
will uh, name names so that you can go and look them up and their friendships were public this wasn't in private he wasn't ashamed of it he said like oh yeah we had to like reach across the aisle and get stuff done it's like what you're reaching across the aisle to white supremacists who have said openly that they don't think that black people are even on the same that we're not even like the same type of humans basically that's one of his bffs what his known like uh what his known views were he made them public like gave interviews and was like yeah you can take that to the bank like that type of stuff so it's not like oh we're not sure his friend has a shady past and maybe he could be like no it was like i <laughs> this dude is like i'm a segregationist like that's the word i, I not even white white supremacist yes but segregationist known segregationist so we'll name those names and then we'll get more into this love video in part two so thank you for listening to part one and we look forward to seeing you on the flip side house of knuckles